Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to our Thursday special guest episode for For Crying Out Loud. We have a special guest in studio. Well, she's not in studio. She's on our Zoom. It's the first time we're doing a Zoom guest, and it's the great Lisa Lampanelli. Yeah, you wish this wasn't the best (laughs) day in your life, but it is. (laughs) We've been so genuinely excited to have you. I we I did a deep dive into like what's going on with you and I I watched uh, a clip I was telling Lynette of you announcing your retirement on Howard Stern and yeah. it was so you were so funny about it and so heartfelt and then you made sure to say that you would still call people cunts which <laughs> oh yeah we're oh, big yes. cunt I, callers I honestly credit myself I used to feel like oh what have I actually contributed to the world and then I was like I made the word cunt possible for millions of cunts and twats and labias <laughs> everywhere because it really isn't a bad word if you mean it with good intentions like if I said to you guys hey a couple of cunts you'd laugh of because course we're right and I just think intention is important so uh, that might be the only thing I've ever done for the world <laughs> We used to we used to uh, call each other cunts, you know, for a long time, and some people would get offended. Right? And we had to you have to you have to stick with it until people get through the being offended and to the other side where they feel complimented. They embraced it. It's a journey, <laughs> but I think people well, get yeah, there. And and you know, also you can't if you're saying it to each other in friendship like that. You know. When I was doing comedy and it was insult comedy and I'd include every race, creed, color, sexual orientation, those people themselves knew and were in on the joke. So if you're joking around with your friends and saying, oh, this dirty twat, they know you're not serious. Although Lynette has a very dirty twat. (laughs) We know this. Let's talk about that off the air. Yes. Help yourself. Okay. Thank you. So I think a, a big thing that people know about you is that you did retire from comedy. Everybody knows you as the queen of mean, like an original uh, roast person, roast master, roast participant. I mean, and you were the best at it. And I mean, I feel like we should just skip to just yeah. because it's such an interesting story about how you, I know you lost a lot of weight and you had kind of a transformation 
physically, but also mentally. And I want to know what brought you to decide, like, people are misunderstanding my comedy. Well, I don't think that's, that's not why I retired. Oh, okay. Tell uh, us everything. I, as a, as a, as a, you know, something to talk about after retirement, I was like, well, I'm glad that a byproduct is I'll never be misunderstood again, you know, because, um, really things did change. And the way, the reason I actually got out was honestly, I started to become a noticer of my own life. Like I would literally be on such an autopilot, like so many people achievement oriented, or you're on this treadmill and you can't get it off. And I was like, wait, I started noticing every time I went to pack for the weekend away, I'd be like, oh, I don't want to go. So the Thursday was always miserable because you're packing and you're like, oh, my God, I don't want to leave my dogs and my family and my parents at the time. And you just your house and your life. And I'm like, hmm, I don't have to keep going. I just started noticing I wasn't lit up by it anymore. So I'm like, well, before I hate it, before the audience is like, she's phoning it in. Let me just talk to my business manager, see how much I have to save and then get out and live like a small life. So it's been great, crazy, a weird adjustment. But I mean, I think people don't, we don't notice our lives enough to get out before it's making us miserable. Wow. So there's nothing to you feeling like I don't want to be seen as mean? I'm No, I mean, I that that's a good byproduct of it of like, wow, I never again have to like get an email going. Um, I didn't appreciate those jokes or whatever. It's just a byproduct of it. But also I just kind of, I mean, I could go back tomorrow and do stand up the exact same way, just cause I'm, I'm the only gift I ever had was being likable. Honestly, Rickles, me to a certain extent, Jeffrey Ross, Howard Stern, I think the only things we really got going for us is somehow people let us say shit, you know, because there's an underlying thing of like, we know she's kidding. But a good byproduct is those people who can't see that. I don't have to defend myself ever again because I really never wanted to explain a joke or defend myself. So it's nice to be kind of in a quieter place with that. Wow. I mean, you think about it. It's like you've done so many roasts. And you've, we were talking about it before the show, like you've paved the way. Do you feel like you've paved the way for some of these other young women comedians? Well, I will say they say that instead of me. Like, for instance, Nikki Glaser all the time talks about I was just going to think, yeah. She's such a sweetheart. She remembers when she opened for me. She was like doing comedy like one year. And she opened for me in Kansas City because she's from St. Louis. And I said, oh, my God, I'm sorry if I was a cunt when I met you, cause you know, I don't know how I acted. I might've been tired. I usually was pretty nice. Everybody's like, Oh, she's so nice. But she goes, no, 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 you were great. You were giving me great advice. And I was like, Oh, good. But like girls like that. And even Amy Schumer had said nice compliments and this one and that one. And I always crack up when I see somebody's performance and I DM them and uh, they go, Oh my God, coming from you. That means a lot. And I'm like, Oh, cute. So I think the real uh, paving the way people were like the Joan Rivers is and, you know, people like that. Mm. But it was nice to be able to show, oh, I'm, I'm a badass and I can get away with being one of, one of the guys and doing it like a man. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Joan Rivers can't pave the way for everybody. At some point, <laughs> at some point, Elisa Lampanelli gets to start paving the way. You know what I mean? We can't always well, yeah, say. Like, like you're jo- right. There are on a highway, there's many layers of pavement. 
Yes. So I would say I'm probably layer three. And then, uh, hey, I'm paved over. The greatest thing, though, is knowing it doesn't mean shit. It doesn't matter. Like, it literally, our legacy, and that's the one thing, I mean, Hamilton, I loved so much. But the thing that resonated me with me most about Hamilton was when he says legacy, you cannot plan your legacy you can't plan for who lives, who dies, who tells your story. You literally just have to do your shit and however it works out. If I'm remembered more for, oh my God, she was nice to me in the green room when I was starting, I'd fucking rather that. You know, yeah. I'm, and I'm not even joking. Like I've worked on myself so much that it doesn't matter if I'm remembered. Who right. cares? Right. I want to get into yeah. like that that path to working on yourself, but can you just tell us how you got into standup? I mean, what, who was your inspiration? I know you were uh, doing journalism and yeah. you, yeah. And you were, I, I read a bunch of stuff about your start, but what sparked you into trying standup? Well, I think it always was gnawing at me like, Oh, that looks cool. But I'd never watched standup. We watched when we were kids, the Dean Martin roast. I think it was NBC with my parents, never seen standup. Didn't know what it was like. Didn't know how you went about it. And I was working as a, a researcher at Rolling Stone after college. And um, I was in my late 20s. And I said to this guy, Steve Futterman, um, he was a researcher. I go to him, I don't know. I always wanted to try stand up. Like, I don't know. How do you get started? He goes, ah, you have to do that. Everybody who does it is self-absorbed and needs all the attention. I'm like, sounds perfect. True. I was like, psychologically <laughs> for whatever, being a middle child or whatever, I had to be special. And you don't realize later that no one needs to be special. You just be you, but that's when you're 60 years old and figure it out. <laughs> but um, I was like, oh, then I'm just gonna take a little class and figure out how to write five minutes and get on stage or whatever. So uh, thank goodness I heard an ad for like some stand-up class in Connecticut where I was brought up and I'm like, I'm going to just do that class. And if I suck at the open mic, we have to do, that's fine. I'll just, it, I don't have to continue. Like, why do I have to make myself miserable? But thank God it did go well the first time. It was like one of those magical things and it inspires you to just keep going. So, I mean, I just loved doing it. I loved that every time in the old days, you had a cassette deck in the car and you'd listen to your sets that I always was laughing out loud at the ad libs and the insult that was never at the bits. So I noticed that and I was like, Oh, I want to talk to the audience more. I want to insult them because they don't seem to get mad. And it helped that I was older too. I was 30, 30 already. So people kind of got my personality, I think. Right. Wow. So what was your first success? Like stand up success? What was the first show you got on or the first time that you were like, Oh, this is really something I could do. Well, I was, uh, the first time on stage, I was like, this is it, I'm a comic. Like, I literally knew. But the first outward show of, oh, you're going to be okay, or you might have a chance at making this a living, I remember, I was talking about last night, it was like getting the call. I was doing stand-up like seven years, and I had read that like Seinfeld said it took seven years to write a good special or something like that, or, or you should have your first success at seven years, something like that. And I got a call because I was hanging out at the Friars Club in the city a lot. And they said Comedy Central's doing the roast to Chevy Chase in two weeks. And we are a producer on that. And we told them they have to have you. And because you do insult comedy. I was like, oh, 
oh my God. And they go, they didn't want you because you're, they don't never heard of you because I was a nobody. And um, they're like, but this is your shot. And I swear to God, I, I'll never forget where I was sitting. I was sitting in my apartment, studio apartment in the city at the Ikea desk. And I was like, this is my chance. And I canceled everything I had for two weeks. Me and this writing partner got together. We banged out all these jokes. And as I'm leaving that little 600 square foot apartment, I look back and it's corny as fuck, but it's true. I was like, when I come back into this room, my life will have changed either for the worst or the better. And thank God that night was very good. And uh, it was for the better. So once that happened, then Howard Stern had me on and then it's, I got a manager and then it sort of started snowballing from there. Wow. Wow. Let's yeah, take that a was quick... insane that they believed in me and were like pushing me like that. It was sick. Well, you're absolutely very talented. You I want to, I want to talk more about the Chevy Chase. Yeah. Rose. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No and we're back. Yeah. So w- can you tell us more about the Chevy Chase roast? Because like, were you scared? I, I know if like for myself, of course I have to interject myself in here, but Lynette knows this about me. I get so nervous and anxious about any kind of big breaks or, or, or things. I, I talk about it for weeks. I'm so scared because everything feels so big. Like when you have that thing where you're like, this could really change my career. Did you get like, Oh God, what if I don't, what if it doesn't go well? Or do you just have, do you just find that confidence? Well, I'm nuts because I think there's two types of people in the world. There's overthinkers. And I, unfortunately, or fortunately aren't, I don't, I, I can't even imagine being an overthinker. I think it probably feels like hell. I'm an underthinker, which <laughs> backfires less, but still does backfire. Meaning you'll marry the wrong person. You'll just go with your, what you think is your gut, but it's not really your gut. It's just habit. So with the gross, I was, I'm all business. I'm like a guy in a way where I'll fucking, they, I got that call. That's why I can still remember where I was within like a fucking hour. So my writing partner was booked. The hair appointment was booked. The makeup appointment was booked. The fucking nail appointment, the fucking <laughs> outfit was like, oh, we're going to go to Bloomingdale's this day. Because in the old days, like, it was my first thing. I didn't have anybody giving me or offering me clothes. So, no, I I'm also know how to set myself up. So I know already that the Friars Club really loves me. And I'm like, they're kind of darling. I know Paul Schaefer, who's the MC, loves me from the Friars. So... I wrote my intro and I knew the audience was 90% friars and it's 1500 people. So I had him say, 
prior Lisa Lampanelli, da, 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 and make a joke. He made whatever joke he made. So if he puts the word Friar first, you'll watch the tape now, they applaud at my name already. So I already have them. I'm, I'm on their side. They're on my side because I'm one of them. Okay. So then also there had been nine guys before me that either did very mediocre or bad. And I'm a fucking, we know I don't have much going for me, but I am a killer when I want to be. So I was like, oh, it's on. And I also wrote very sharp stuff. I also had a lot of bomb lines just in case, like to make fun of other guys. If, oh, you know, oh, go ahead, moan. I'll bring so-and-so back again and name <laughs> like someone who bombed or whatever. Right. So I know I'm loaded for bear. And then I was like, well, it's up to the universe now. And Chevy has said it was the absolute worst night of his life. He realized he didn't have any friends because Aww. no one showed up for him. And he misbehaved horribly at the Rose. But he did say, Paul Schaefer told me later, goes, Chevy said you're the only one he liked because you didn't mention his drug addiction or whatever. Because I just didn't find it that funny. And uh, Chevy has since apologized for his shitty behavior he basically wore sunglasses the whole time. And I was like, I'm not even looking at him. I'm not engaging this fuck because this is about me. I made that whole night about me. And then I never really got nervous for them. Cause I'm like, I'm, I'm nervous for other things. Like if you put me on a movie set, I want to shoot myself in the fucking head. I stink. <laughs> I can't memorize. I always think I suck, but I had one gift. I have two gifts. Actually. One is comedy. One is driving. I'm the best driver in the world. Wow. So, Oh, the best. And the best Parker in the world. Like me people too. die when they see me parallel park, right? Mm -hmm. I don't do that anymore. And uh, I think I just knew I had it. And then I, other things have gone badly, but those roasts, thank God, I kind of knew what I was doing. Right. What well, went you, badly? What's that? What went badly? Well, like things like I literally did a movie once, um, David Chase, the creator of Sopranos, was making a movie about his life when he was a teenager. And it didn't come off badly in the movie. He cast me as his aunt growing up. If you watch the movie, it's not bad. Or the, my scenes aren't bad. I don't suck. What's the name but of I the movie? Felt, uh, not Fade Away. Oh, yeah. And really, really good. And I just felt like garbage because I'm like, I'm not a trained actor. I don't know how to fucking memorize i felt insecure i would cry every time i did an acting job i'd like sob all the way home and cry and go i'm never acting again why do they make me do this like what am i an idiot and like so i just those kind of things i'm like oh well that wasn't my path i wasn't supposed to be doing that mm -hmm. if i wanted to be an actor i would have been in acting class right and you know what's ironic about the whole thing i'm in acting class now for fun with no goal of ever acting in anything wow that's it's so interesting because I was like, I need a hobby because when you retire, you need some accountability and showing up to certain places or whatever. So I cobbled together this little string of activity every week. And uh, I was watching Barry, you know, that show. Yeah. And I was so jealous of the character because he was in an acting class as a beginner. Mm -hmm. So I took beginner acting and like, I'm just learning how to act, but I have no intention of ever doing it again. Wow. That's funny. I but, took improv classes not with no, you know, I wasn't going to be a, a, a com, com, comedy 
or take, yeah. you know, I just, I wasn't going to take, going on auditions or anything. I was just doing it just to do it. It's, it's yeah, fun. Think, it's fun to challenge yourself. I think, I don't even think it's the challenge for me. It's the, what can I do as a hobby that just makes me happy? So, and every time I'm driving into the city from Connecticut, I'm like, oh man, why am I in such a good mood? Oh, cause I'm with this community of people. I'm, uh, if I'm bad, who gives a shit? Um, so I think it has to be with me, no big goals anymore. Or no, maybe not even any small goals other than to live day to day and have a good time and mm-hmm. just be present, which right. is hard. It's hard. So with, like with the acting, do you feel like taking the class takes some of the sting out of that feeling? I mean, I know the feeling too of I, I'm a terrible actor and I... I got a show. I was hosting a little t- talk show for moms a while back and mm-hmm. we had to do these little acting things in it. And I was the same as you. I was like, you guys, I don't, I'm not, I can't act. I don't, you can't expect this of me The I can host and I can, I can do the monologue. I know how to do that. I've been doing it for years, but when you ask me to, I sound, and one of the girls who was the head writer on the show and one of the producers told me I had to do a scene where I was sitting up from, I was getting my like nails done and I had to sit up really suddenly. And she told me that I, I seemed like I was rising out of a coffin. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I I can't. I think, yeah, it's like, that's not bad, you know? And it, I think, no, it doesn't take the sting out of past failures because the only thing that does that is trauma therapy. I really believe that adding a goal on top of something does nothing. It just buries it deeper. So, you know, if I was, I mean, obviously I'm not ashamed of that performance and I'm not sitting here going, Oh my God, David Chase must hate me. David Chase. And it's been said by people who work with him and it's not an insult. He has resting bitch face. He will never indicate you're good or you're bad. He just, and that sucks for someone who at the time was so fucking insecure. Cause I was like, he just hates me. Turns out he didn't hate me. He just Aww. doesn't emote. Right. So I think the only thing really that helps me when I look back on things I'm ashamed of, whether it's snapping on an audience member, whether it's, uh, I don't know, getting in a fight with a friend, uh, you know, telling someone this or that, that I shouldn't have said, I think it's just all therapy. It's mm-hmm. not, I don't think adding shit on top of shit is a good idea. Right. Well, I'm going to ask you about your transformation that you went through. Like, you know, oh, quite <laughs> lovely and beautiful. God damn it. You are. And I'm trying. I'm always looking for people to inspire me to get out of my rut because I'm, you know, I'm still going through a divorce and I have this routine where I'm with the kids a few days a week and then I'm not with the kids. When I'm not with the kids, I just like I, I tend to shut down and not want to. I don't have any. Um, motivation to do much, you know, as, as far as like exercise, take care of myself. It's like, you know, I just want to like order fast food and watch, you know, bad TV. But like, so I'm always looking for people to inspire me. Like, how do they, how do you pull yourself out? Well, the only thing I'm going to inspire you to do is stop being so hard on yourself. I would argue you are at capacity right now, emotionally, I've been through divorces that were actually really easy Mm -hmm. because it just wasn't meant to be me and Jimmy. When I got married in 2010, after like a year and a half, we're like, well, we're not happy. So let's just fucking wrap this thing up. Right. So 
your problem is, I love saying that to people, that's really inspiring. But your <laughs> problem is you don't think you're going through trauma and you are. Uh-huh. You're going through probably something between a small T and a capital T trauma. Mm-hmm. Trump, capital T, they usually say is like assault or rape or whatever. Right. Death. You're probably somewhere in between. Let yourself fucking rest, goddammit. Mm-hmm. You're doing everything you can you're doing the best you can the way we and not just women but a lot of times women and sometimes men i know a lot of straight guys who are very sensitive and gay men too we think we have to do it all Mm -hmm. there is no triumph in being skinny there's no triumph in being healthy there's no triumph in being fit who gives a fuck? Mm-hmm. You're, get your blood work every six months. Make sure you're not dying. You're fine. If I had the trauma of only seeing my kids part-time, going through a divorce, trying to start up a, a career, whatever it is, moving. If, if, if you said, if I said to you, oh, Lynette, I'm so bad because I just moved into a new house and it's not set up and I've been here a week, you'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? Calm right, down. Like right, right. you're going through a big change. I want you to get off this thing today and go, I don't have to add one more thing. I would argue subtract things. Okay. Subtract the pressure to be anything other than where you are right now. Wow. You know, it's, okay. It's hard. It is hard. Well, I, I think I, you're I, very it's, tough on yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's good to hear, uh, you know, I, I just... It's, uh, you know, you you're, you do when you're alone a lot, too. You start to think like, oh, sh- you know, I should be exercising. I should be doing should, this. I should, 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 should. That, yeah. that goofy expression, stop shooting all over yourself. Mm-hmm. I do only what I want to do. I was seeing an intuitive movement coach for a minute because I hate movement. I hate exercise. I won't. I won't do anything I dislike. Right. I, she said to me, you're never going to die from not moving. Like, <laughs> you literally are fine. Like, right. my mother lived till 91, never walked a fucking mile in her life. Really? She didn't walk a foot. She didn't give a shit. And the thing is, nobody's dying. Right. I just think it's all so overblown. And there's so much pressure um, to be a certain way. It doesn't matter. It's like. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say, you know, just get blood work if you want. Right. That's what I do. Right. I don't move. I don't give a shit. I fucking go, all right, my iron's good. My this is good. My that's good. Right. Cool. Now, you has know, your so has your attitude changed since because you did you did lose like 100 pounds, right? You had the. Yeah. And it was probably and I've never said this publicly, but I will. That surgery might be the worst decision I ever made. Really? Say more. Literally, I've learned so much. I'm one of the lucky ones who kept some weight off. Most people gain it back. I have had since two other operations to fix shit that happened because of it. Ugh. I'm not angry anymore about it because I made, I was beating myself up. I was like, this was mutilation and it should honestly not exist. Um, so I'm very anti the surgery. If anyone asks my advice, I say you have to make your decision, but here's my experience leads to weight gain and further operations. I mean, I just had an operation a month ago today. Wow. Called a hiatal hernia where your stomach makes its way into your chest. And I couldn't eat for two years. 
So, Holy shit. and want to know the great irony of it all? Couldn't eat for two years, but ironically, the body thinks you're starving. So I put on 20 fucking pounds. Oh my God. But instead of beating myself up for having or initial surgery, I said, I'm getting this thing fixed. And of course the 20 dropped in a month because it was all water. I was literally very sick. I didn't know it. I was holding on to everything I drank. I mean, it was my, my body was swollen. So I had a lot of shame about it thinking, oh my God, here I am, this person who you know, is known for this and they gained 20. So I just admitted it in public and was like, fuck it. So I, my attitude's changed a lot. I'm very into um, working on anti-fatness, really into working on fat phobia, internalized self-hate. Um, I think all bodies are good. All food is good. I don't use the word junk food, bad food, good food. So it's been a huge, great shift. But boy, it came That's at a amazing. big price, man. For two years, I i mean, it was, my friends were like, what's happening to you? You are just, you can't get food down. Oh my God. Was this, was this well after the original surgery? Yeah. Yeah. I had so you had like a complication, like way afterward. Yeah. Well, what happens, a very common thing that happens to people who have weight loss surgery, but I'm not going to say I wasn't warned about it. I don't remember being warned about it. And probably because I was on autopilot to get out of a fat body because you are so shamed and put down constantly that I would have done any, that's why people are on diets, will do anything to escape from being um, made fun of. Mm -hmm. And I was made fun of so publicly and yeah, Roshi give it back and everything, but you feel like a failure. So it hurt so much that I was like, how do I get out of this? Because diets don't work because for every diet there, for every restriction, there's a binge. That's why no one keeps weight off mm-hmm. after Weight Watchers. And that's why it's a business and they have recurring customers. I've been there five times. So kept the weight off for 10 years, but still with some trouble. Like it was hard to keep off. The initial thing was a gallbladder surgery two years after. And that sucked. And then this surgery and I'm like, okay, I got to just work on anti-fat bias. This is bullshit. So, and, and again, thank God I'm healthy no matter what weight I am. Uh, so I feel like it was a good psychological turning point for me. And it opened me up to this world of like, everybody's fine in whatever body they're in. Let's stop this shit. You look, I mean, you have to, I have to say, you really look radiant. <laughs> I mean, Which you is, look. Well, it's, and I guarantee you, I'll tell you why, because of that fucking hernia getting out of me really because it was the size of an orange he told me this weeks later the surgeon because he didn't want me to panic in the hospital and it collapsed one of my lungs so i'm so fucking happy right now because i food goes down easy i mean it's like a gift like it literally used to get stuck in the middle of my throat for 10 minutes like it was horrible horrible so thank god i got it done fixed as he told me about it we scheduled it the next day like i'm not detective i'm an underthinker i i don't fuck around so I was, I have the best recovery ever. And I think it's my skin's better. I just Your skin feel is energy. Yeah. I just would say it's everybody's journey, what they decide to do. But boy, my experience is that it's, it should go the way of the lobotomy eventually. Cause it's literally cutting out a part of yourself that you need. It's crazy. Right. Are they, they're what still doing people? it? The, are they? Yeah. Still- yeah. And it's, and it's, again, it's totally common practice. That's fine. I don't, and that's why it's interesting because I respect anybody who 
does that if that's what you need to get out of being in an airplane and have people making fun of you because you can't fit in the seat. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we'll do anything to escape the world of hate that comes at fat people, black people, gay people. I had a friend who was fat. I have a good friend who was fat, black and gay. And he's like, at least I can fucking take care of the fat part. Yeah. And he got the surgery. And I said, you know what? God bless you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. just just be careful. Right. Right. Have you had uh, I- issues with food uh, since you were a kid? Did you have eating since disorder? I was 18. It was really funny because I wrote a whole show called Stuffed, uh, and it was off-Broadway for two runs. And it was about me and four other women, three other women and our, like, body and food image, excuse me, body image and food journeys. And so the only – I remember starting to use food emotionally, which is not a bad thing anyway, but I started – to use food for something other than hunger when I went away to college and was miserable. And um, that's when it, the up and down started and everything. So yeah, it's been, it was 18 to 52, then the surgery, and then the issues don't go away. You still hate yourself and how you look and all that stuff. Um, the only reason I joke around and when you say you look good and I'm like, I'm nailing it. It's cause like, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Like I'm never gonna go to a beauty contest I'm fucking never going to get a Botox or a facial thing. I, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> We're more than our looks, you know. But yeah, I had food and body and stuff from probably 18 on. I know I know I'm focusing on the wrong thing, but no. what can you tell me more more about uh so you went to college and you didn't like it. We have I have a college age kid right now who didn't get in to college. And I literally was kind of trying to make her feel better by saying, you know what? Not all of your friends that are going to college are going to freaking love it. Like there are many people who have never been away from home are going to go to college and be like, what the fuck did I get myself into and maybe quit? So (laughs) I'd love to hear about your experience. Well, first of all, just in general, college is a scam. We all don't (laughs) need, well, it is. We don't need, Bill Maher said it really well. Not everyone needs to go to college. It's yeah. like we don't have enough plumbers and enough people doing trades. And we don't, we don't have enough. Not everyone's journey. You could be a musician. You could be a comic. You could be an actor. Like, it's this weird default everyone gets into. Except- I didn't go to college, by the way. Yeah, so I'm with either. you. <laughs> we didn't Look, go to college. I'm so fucking proud of you that you did not waste four <laughs> no years. College. No college. No college. Good. God bless you. You're smart. Ahead <laughs> of your time. Oh. It's miserable. And I I wasn't miserable because I went to a bad college or I was not smart. You went to Syracuse, right? Well, I went first to Boston College the first year. was so miserable I transferred to Syracuse because my boyfriend at the time was going to Cornell. It was an hour away. I was like, well, at least I won't be as lonely. But no, it was just a whole series of awful events and nothing traumatic as far as a capital T trauma. But some date rapey possibility moments there was a you know housing real housing problem there was money problems because I spent all my money because I had no freedom as a teenager at home Mm -hmm. because we're like kind of just my mother's Italian and you're home by 11 kind of thing when you have nobody to answer to you go insane I did so I was miserable for college I don't know how I even got through it and graduated but I somehow did and I was like well it's not for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, and I just don't, anyone to me, the fact that she didn't get into college, I am viewing that as the best win of all time because 
It sounds hokey, but rejection is God's protection. There's something she's meant to do Mm -hmm. that's different than that. Anything I didn't get, like meaning a part I auditioned for or a comedy experience or whatever, anything that didn't work out, thank God it didn't. Like there wasn't meant for me. It's hard though to, I, I agree with you and I, I'm scrappy. I think we're, there's three of us scrappy women in here, but, uh, and I, I just moved to LA at 18 and then started, I took improv and then I tried stand up at like 22 or 23. Uh, so I'm in, in the position of telling my daughter, like, it's like something else is going to work out. I mean, she's in, she's going to community right now and she was going to transfer next year, but she went just went through a breakup and all her friends are leaving her for college. So she's in a, in a place right now, young and going through a lot of disappointment. And when they are, it's just so hard to tell them Mm -hmm. like, you're going to look back on this and be like, I'm glad that happened. Yeah. But I would argue you're wrong because you just need to let her feel it. Like the whole thing with moms, Thank God I wasn't a mom because I would have been a total fucking helicopter. <laughs> I I have a great niece who was born two two years ago. She's about to turn two. I worry about her as much as I would probably worry about a kid. So I would have been the worst mother. But the problem, listen to the Brene Brown chapter on disappointment. You've got to let people feel disappointment because then they learn to handle it. So you saying all those platitudes to your daughter are well-intentioned and I've done it. I do it to friends because I have a lot of younger friends. That's for after they feel it was disappointment. Right. Brene Brown talks about sitting. I I love this phrase because it's so fucking transformative. Sitting in the dark with them. Mm -hmm. She's in the dark right now. You just have to sit there. And it's the most fucking uncomfortable thing because we want to fix. Yeah. I literally have a necklace on that I will hopefully hand off to somebody someday. That's because I won't need it anymore. That says no fixer uppers because all I fucking attract is people who need fixing. (laughs) And it fucks me in the ass every time because they don't want to be fixed. Uh So your daughter, I would argue if she's normal, which she sounds it, is feeling all the right feelings, doesn't want you to fix her. It just got to let her be sad. And that's ha- to me, that's got to be the hardest thing in the world. It's but really hard. What it's what we're talking about. Cause I do, I do do that. I, I am letting her and I'm telling her that like, okay, you're going to feel sad for a while. It's normal to feel sad. You got really disappointed, but then I have to do that to myself because yep. then I walk away from that and want to fix it and want to like have a snack yep. and want to like, I'm like, how do I deal with her right. feeling? <laughs> Well, what's great is you are disappointed. You're disappointed for her. Yes. Yeah. Super sad for you. Yeah. Because. Yeah. What about me? (laughs) Well, no, I agree too. Because death of a dream is a thing. Like you had this dream for your kid that everything would work out. Right. It's like I, when I was thinking about being a coach and I was doing some practice clients, I ended up disliking it because I wanted people to change too fast. And it was on my agenda. It was crazy. But I had this guy who had an autistic kid and he was so angry at everything in life. And I was like, what do you think it really is? And we figured it out that he was just sad because he had dreamt that him and his kid would have, you know, a different relationship that some non-neuro, a non-neurodivergent kid and him would have. 
and he had to be sad and disappointed and now they have the best fucking relationship so it's just us going super fucking sad me and mm-hmm. my kid aren't shopping for school stuff right now right super sad. right so then that's for you to process with your significant other or your therapist or whatever it's just fucking sucks all around to be a mom yes i i went out i'll tell you a story but let's take a quick break we'll be right back so last night I went to dinner with my best friend and her daughter is the same age as Stephanie's daughter. And she just went through this break. Her boyfriend broke up. Very similar story to your daughter's. And my best friend, Suzanne, she's she's a helicopter mom. She wants to fix everything. She actually Googled, what do you do when your daughter's <laughs> teenage daughter gets her heart broken? And the yeah. first thing, everything that came up was don't try and fix it. Just sympathize. Be there for them. Sounds hard. I understand. I could, you know, tell maybe relate. Like the same thing happened to me, kind of thing. But don't try. And she was just going like coming out of her skin. Like, but I want to fix it. Yeah. I want, and she well, had it was like a learning experience for her. Yeah. What's the most uncomfortable thing in the world to realize? We can't help. Right. Like we don't know shit. We can't help. The only thing we know is that it didn't help us when people said, "There's other fish in the sea. Yeah, you'll meet someone else." It's the worst fucking advice in the world because guess what? We know it, but yet aren't we allowed to feel sad that this one got away? Mm-hmm. So right. I think the whole thing is great that discomfort sucks, but I've had the most un since retirement, the first five years were the most fucking uncomfortable things. And I just had to sit in it because I didn't want to do comedy anymore. Did I want to do this thing? Did I want to do that thing? And then that discomfort of doing nothing career-wise, and going, well, who am I? And then realizing, oh, I don't need an identity other than just me. And that's that took five fucking years mm. that it's okay just to be who I am as a person and not as an entity. And yeah, I still love it, get a kick out of when somebody says, you want to come on the podcast or when I go to a Broadway show and they're like, come backstage, the guys want to meet you because every gay loves me. <laughs> so I'm, you know, that's still a little cute little ego boost, but it doesn't drive my life. So the discomfort sucked, man. Yeah. I'm just looking at my backyard. I'm like five years ago, like looking out that window going, what the, who the fuck am I? And then going, oh, it doesn't, nope, doesn't matter. Wow. I want to understand though, because when you quit doing standup, I mean, you retired, you made like, I'm not going to do it anymore. So going back to what you were saying early in the show, you said you started to feel like, oh, I don't feel that same spark. I don't, I don't look forward to going on the road, but couldn't you just cut back to doing a few shows here and there? Or were you like, no, I have to just remove it from my life entirely. Yeah. Well, I wasn't happy doing it too. So why do something? I'm when I'm, I'm good at, and again, the underthinking comes in great for this. When I'm done, I'm done. So basically, okay. So I sold for just an example, I had a beautiful house on the water in Connecticut and one day I was like, oh, you know, this was cute when the kids, my nieces and nephews were little, they'd come sleep over. No one needs a huge house for one woman and 15 pound of dog. That's like, it's just why. So mm-hmm. I'm like, sold it. And my sister goes to me all the time. She goes, oh my God, do you ever drive past that house? That was such a great house. Was, why would I drive past it? Like, it's not mine. I don't care. So I know when it's over. So with Jimmy and me with divorce, we was just like, yeah, it's fucking over. Like, so I don't go back and forth 
with things. Mm-hmm. So with stand-up, it was the same. It was like, oh, I don't enjoy this anymore. Okay. Right. And there's no emotion involved. There's no torture. If there's a pro and con list, it's always a con. Mm-hmm. Because it, you know in your gut, it's a pro. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I'm, I quit yeah. doing stand-up too. And my a lot of my friends, I was, you know, way more famous than you. So it was different. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was not... <laughs> I'm just joking. I was not ever, I never really made it as a stand-up. It led to a lot of other things. But my point is I never loved the performing because I am an overthinker and I would get so nervous every time. And at some point I was like, a lot of my friends would be like, you can't be such a perfectionist about it. It doesn't matter. Don't don't worry about bombing. And I I did stand-up for over 20 years. And I was like, never one single time did I look forward to my set or go, this is going to be fun. I hated it every time. And you know what? At a certain point I was like, why am I doing this to myself? I don't have to. I was, I got a job as a writer. Um, I was writing on like some TV shows and I loved that so much more. I loved Mm -hmm. writing and letting somebody else do the joke. And I went, that's what's so much more fulfilling to me why am I torturing myself? And I made the decision. I'm like, I'm never going to do it again. And I don't care how many times my friends were like, but do you want to do this one show? I was like, no, I don't have to. I'm done. And I felt really good about it. But I thought for you, since you were saying that you actually love doing stand-up and you felt comfortable and you were super successful, I was like, that's so interesting that you also were like, no, I don't like it. (laughs) Well, well, so, so it's like, it's not that I didn't like it. It's like, it doesn't light me up anymore. There's a difference. Like I like cooking, but it doesn't light me up. So if I quit tomorrow, it doesn't matter. So you can like something, but to do stand up on the scale that I was doing, you've got to fucking love it because you got to bring it with that audience. Right. You're paying a lot of money. You can't be that person. So I think it's just like a wise choice to get out when you want to get out. And I what, think what lights you it, up now? Um, honestly, that weird enough, just driving. I love fucking driving. I'm honestly, I can't brag about it enough. Um, (laughs) I always thought if I got made off and my guy stole all my money, my business manager, I'd be a driver. I'd be the best. People would be like, oh my God, she's the best driver, five star. (laughs) Um, I just, I I get it. I like it. I love listening to the right podcast. I love, um, God, I love being in a hot tub at midnight i know it sounds super pokey but it's very peaceful to me to, mm. especially in the winter to just be like i mean i bought my parents house where i grew up in uh, i asked my mom because they had built the house before she passed away like a couple years before she wasn't even sick or anything i was like would it make you happy if one of us bought the house just oh my god i'd love that so i bought the house i grew up in that lights me up I'm so basic. I literally decorate for every fucking season so nicely. I'm that lights me up. I fucking love it's so mm. like I literally <laughs> don't have a time of year in my house that there's not special stuff up. I create these things. Um, I love going to dinner. Uh-huh. Now that I can eat, it feels really great. I love sitting outside with the dogs for only 10 minutes because I can't. They're fucking annoying. Um, <laughs> uh, just going to theater shows. Oh, my God. I laugh my ass off. Or I scream the whole time. That's um, awesome. I love hanging out with nieces and nephews, my great niece, that little angel. Um, I almost also picked up the ball for things when my mother couldn't do anymore. Like, I love sending 
everyone in the family's Father's Day cards and Mother's Day cards mm-hmm. and hosting game. Oh my God, fucking game nights <laughs> at least once a week. I'm a so such a uh, a fan of game nights and ho- I love hosting. Yeah, I'm not a good cook, but I'm a great host, making everybody feel comfortable. I can see. I, you're Italian, right? You're full blooded Italian. No, a little bit of Polish from my mother's side, but okay. we don't own that. We kind of <laughs> shirk that aside. But yeah, I like to make a house smell good, like mm-hmm. with all the little things you do. And I don't know, I like shopping for little silly things, putting outfits together. So it's a really normal, 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 normal life. Right. What and about it, performing? Like not stand up, but what about performing? I mean, I know you do not stand up, but I mean, like you were doing the Broadway show, the off Broadway show. Like, do you still like writing and performing? Do you want to do another one? Really? I mean, I did two shows after retirement that were just sort of like one was like a Q&A thing. And that was a lot of fun um, in the theater. And I was just like, yeah, it's fine. Like, who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, and then last year, I felt very compelled to write a show about failure called Lisa Lampanelli, Big Fat Failure. And it was about all the failures I had through life to kind of normalize that it's okay. Because mm-hmm. I don't think a show by a failed person is impactful because you're like, I'm not going to learn from you. But if I, as a ostensibly successful person, get up and say, yeah, well, I fucked up this, 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 and this. And we did songs and funny parodies and stuff, but it was a lot of serious stuff. Um, I go, that's important. People can know whatever they failed at. At least it wasn't as bad as mine. Um, so I did that twice and then didn't have to. Once it was written, it went through me and I was like, kind of those failures lifted and I can laugh about them now. Um, and you wrote a uh, memoir, right? I did, but that was years ago when everyone was getting a book deal. Every stand-up was getting a book deal in the 90s, or early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. So we made bank, bro. And it's a... <laughs> That's fascinating, non-best-selling uh, book. <laughs> but it was actually really good. It was deep. But I also fucking love, love going to therapy. It's hard, but I love it. I lo- Oh, my God. I have three begin, not beginning stand-up. They've been doing stand-up like five years. These three straight guys that I'm really good friends with, we meet every single Tuesday with this big dinner, and then we work on writing. And literally, it's the appointment that I love the most every week. And then the acting class, I'm taking a directing class. That's stuff stuff I'll just do as a hobby and we'll see what happens. I'll probably never use it, but um, what's interesting and ironic, I'm a fucking good actor. I, now that I took the goal out of it, everyone in class is like, what the fuck? And I'm like, yeah. So isn't <laughs> it interesting? My dad was the same way. He didn't know he was a great painter until he went to a beginning class and they were all like, what the fuck, Len? You're a great painter. It just... Wow. When we have no goal, we don't want to sell whatever we're creating. It, we're somehow allowing ourselves to be good at it. It's funny. That is interesting. Yeah. Like before we go, can you just give us some fun stories about like, what's the worst roast you ever did? Crazy, something crazy that happened. The David Hasselhoff roast was like insane, right? That was a blast. See, no roast was ever that much fun because I don't drink and I'm not sober or anything. I just never liked the taste of booze. And uh, everybody's drinking and having a good time. And I'm sitting up there. If you ever see a camera and they pan out, you will see me with those papers on my lap, fucking crossing shit out, rewriting. Because <laughs> the whole time you're like, oh, no, I have to edit because this guy said this or whatever. Um, so I never had a lot of fun. 
although I fucking looked like I was having fun. Yeah, you did. And also, I looked like I was the best sport ever because the trick is, because I would always get these, you know, fan letters going, oh, not only do you give it, you can take it. Well, the trick is, there's a big teleprompter for all the guys doing the jokes, right? Some of us use paper. Some of us use the teleprompter. Well, they used to put up the teleprompter joke and I'd glance at the teleprompter of what they were going to say. And if I saw my name, I'd sit up and I'm like, get ready for that fucking fake laugh, even if the joke sucks. So every fucking joke they did, I would just sit up and I'd be guffawing, even if it was dumb. So I was known as this really good sport. Right. And did some of the jokes hurt? Only lazy, badly written ones. So I'm like, I'm worth more than that. But dude, that's how I fucking tricked the world into thinking I was the best sport on the planet. Wow. That's interesting. You got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. Did anybody that you were roasting genuinely get pissed off though? Well, Andy Dick was always acting pissed off at everybody, but he was so inebriated that I'm never sure if that he was just acting that, Mm -hmm. but he was damaged. So like, I didn't worry about it too much. Um, I remember Hulk Hogan went up to my husband at the time and he just goes, Oh man, your (laughs) woman is brutal, my friend. And I thought that was a nice compliment. Um, I don't think. What about Trump? How was the Trump roast? Well, that's the thing. It was way before any presidential shit. And he put me and Adam on the apprentice after. Yeah. So what cracked me up was like, oh, he really liked that roast because they, I got a call like three days later. Do you want to do The Apprentice? I'm mm-hmm. like, sure. Fine. Right. And I'm like, oh, shit. No, he was fine because honestly, the way Trump was back then, at least, it was just like, wow, they're saying my name. I'm getting attention. It was how I was when I would sit up and laugh at all the jokes. Mm-hmm. The more airtime, the better, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was fine. None of the roasts were miserable. But I wouldn't say they're fun. It's fucking work. Yeah. That's the problem. It's a right. lot of work. Right. So when you were on The Apprentice, you got in some like little mini altercations with some people, right? Enormous battles. <laughs> Arsenio? I was furious oh, yeah. every second of every day because like, I, resented truly? The fact that, I resented the fact that the men had a smart team and we had a bunch of fucking dummies. <laughs> Say what you will about Adam, Penn, Gillette, you know, all these guys. They're fucking smart. Yeah. So you got on that team two literal geniuses. <laughs> then you've got hardworking guys who were smart, like D. Snyder was really brainy. From I mean, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And then there's all these other guys who carried water, you know, were really bright. Clay Aikens, really oh, yeah. smart. And my team was a fucking dumb real housewife <laughs> twat. <laughs> fucking... And you know what? Honestly, I was just about to joke and say Debbie Gibson. She was actually really smart. Um, and a bunch of fucking dopes. <laughs> and again, that's so egotistical. Uh, and some of them, I'm sure, were smart, but I wouldn't give anybody a chance because I'm always right. And I'm always the one with the big mouth. <laughs> the fucking guy. So I was in epic fucking battles. Dude, if you ever saw the ones they didn't air, I mean, there was some shit I said that I think I would have been canceled before that existed. <laughs> right. <laughs> What I said about women was so bad, but you know, it is what it is. It was, I was sleep deprived, but I was also just a raging unhappy cunt. (laughs) I think that would be a good title for your one woman show. Just raging unhappy cunt. (laughs) Yes. You know what? If I ever decide to do another show, that's what the title is. (laughs) 
that's, well, that's so a funny. good not, that's a good note to go out yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah, you are awesome. Lisa. Awesome. Awesome. Will you come back and do it again? Please talk about something else. I love you guys. This was so painless. Like I literally love being a guest on podcast. I I mean, I certainly don't do any that aren't uh good and I wouldn't do anything that's against my political leanings and things. But boy, do I love being asked questions. You know, when I always tell beginning actors and comics, ask advice because no one loves anything more than talking about themselves. I'm like, everyone's going to give you advice because they get to tell stories about themselves. We're big fucking egomaniacs. So thank you for letting me start this day. totally full of myself so thank you uh, well you know and also it's labor day it's you know it's a holiday and it's first thing in the i mean it's, it's in you know so thank you for taking the time oh. on a holiday um, no i love, we you, love you lisa we really and do. occasionally by the way i'll be scrolling through my camera roll just to like delete things and i'm like oh my god lynette's picture with me remember i you know i remember that I love that yeah. picture. Yeah, that was fun when I did your podcast. It was I would never get invited on podcasts. That was amazing. Like Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, you it was so I much fun. With my gut, I was like, Oh, I like her. She seems cool. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. We've been friends Aww. ever since. So on. you don't do that podcast anymore, but we asked you ahead of time in case our audience what you wanted to promote and you said just life. Just live in life. Nothing. Instagram. <laughs> are you on promote. social media? I mean, I am, I'm on Instagram, but just for fun. Like I don't have anything. I, I help, I definitely try to lift up other people because, you know, I have friends who are comics or things on TV that I love or whatever, but I don't like have anything to promote. I don't care. Um, because I'm just like at that stage of life that life is just fun, but also, you know, it's so funny to kind of do shows and then remember that's why people do shows to promote shit. It's like, I got nothing, but this means you owe me one that if I ever decide to do a comeback or I, which I won't with stand up, but if I ever decide to do a show, I'm calling in a favor and saying, listen, twats, get on <laughs> right now. Of course. Done and done. Yes. Oh my God. We'd be honored. Well, thank you so much. We can't much. thank you enough, Lisa. You've been the best. Everybody go check out Lisa Lampanelli wherever you want to check her wherever out. Wherever the fuck wherever that the clam fu- is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. I love you. Take care. Bye. Bye.